Hey there, Hoopheads. Thanks for tuning in. We have watched the first game of each series play out, and it is time to talk about them and dissect them and analyze them a little further. Stick around. So we're going to start today by uh, talking about the Celtics and Cavs game one. And all I can say is, wow. I mean, wow. We saw the Celtics absolutely smother Cleveland on offense. Um, I said in the last uh, podcast that I thought the Celtics were going to take this series uh, due to Brad Stevens and his ability to exploit other teams and their weaknesses and their inconsistencies. And we saw exactly that happen in Game 1. Cleveland has been plagued by inconsistent performers, and so the Celtics decided to make life difficult on LeBron James and force him to kick out, force him to rely on his teammates, and his teammates were not able to show up for him. Uh, LeBron James finished with 15 points on 5 of 16 shooting. He did have 9 assists and uh, I believe 7 rebounds, but he also had 7 turnovers. Um, so clearly, he only got 16 shots up. He, he got 7 turnovers. Uh, the Celtics were making life very difficult on LeBron James. He didn't want to shoot. Um, he didn't find LeBron James. First of all, he doesn't take bad shots very often. All right, that's not. Uh, he's a very intelligent player. Uh, he doesn't play recklessly. Uh, he plays smart basketball. Um, so if you only if you only took sixteen shots, it's because he only felt like he had a decent shot sixteen times that whole game. Um, he only was able to convert on five of those. And then to add to that, the seven assists. Yeah, LeBron does get a uh, sorry seven turnovers. I mean, yeah, LeBron does get turnovers uh, every now and again. Uh, that's going to happen when you're a, a distributor for your team and uh, and when you uh, take it to the whole lot. Uh, but that's a seven a seven turnover game is not your average LeBron game. And I think he'll tell you that himself. And the reason why he was getting those turnovers is because he never was able to get comfortable on offense. Uh, From the second uh, he crossed the half-court line, uh, there was a defender right up in his grill. And the thing that makes the Boston Celtics so good defensively is they have a ton of athletic and agile and quick and long defenders, right? You saw Marcus Smart, you saw Jason Tatum, you saw Jalen Brown, you saw Al Horford, who was very mobile for a big guy. All of them were had were active, had their hands in passing lanes, had their hands on blocked shots. And they made it very difficult on anyone in a Cleveland uniform to get anything going. Uh, Cleveland overall shot four for 26 from the three-point line. Uh, four for 26. When you take up 26 threes, uh, you really got to make more than four of them. Um, and if the Cleveland Cavs can't find a way to start making those three-point shots, uh, they're going to have a really hard time uh, winning winning in this series. Uh, now, is every game going to go like that? No. Um, I think that if you uh, make some more of those perimeter shots, uh, you're going you're gonna to force Boston to have to play a lot more honestly, right, on defense. Um, we were able to see uh, the Celtics, whenever LeBron got inside the perimeter, whenever he made it past the arc, we saw them send very smart double teams over. Um, they sent them from the far side. Sometimes they even sent them from the, from the near side. But uh, they were able to do very smart traps, very smart double teams, and that's what created a lot of those turnovers, and that's what created a lot of the rush shots that led to misses uh, from Cleveland. They only shot thirty-one or sorry, uh, 36% from the field overall. Um, that's not going to get the job done. Um, the Celtics, on the other hand, they were they looked great, great on offense. 
Uh, were they, I mean, could they have been better? I actually think they could have, you know, and I know it was a 25-point blowout, uh, but I felt like the Celtics took a lot of contested shots, which just went down. Uh, those aren't always going to go down. So I, I would like to see the Celtics be a little more patient with the ball, uh, work a little bit uh, for a better shot. We saw Jason Tatum. We saw Jalen Brown take some contested jumpers, They, they ha- and they most of them ended up going in. Um, but it would have been nice to see them uh, perhaps settle for a little better shots. That being said, uh, a contested shot is not always a bad shot in basketball. Um, the way I've always thought about it is a bad shot is a shot that doesn't that doesn't have the confidence needed uh, to get the shot up. Whereas a good shot is a confident shot. Uh, and NBA players, they're so talented, they're so good that they're going to make contested shots if they're feeling confident on their release. And if you go up strong, if you go up confident, you have a much better chance. Now, when you put yourself in Cleveland shoes for game one, uh, when you are being hounded on defense, when you are scrambling to find the open guy, um, when you're taking shots that are, that are to beat the shot clock, you're not feeling confident on those releases. And uh, that's what causes bad shots. Whereas we saw, like I said earlier, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown take some contested jumpers, but it was early in the shot clock, um, and it was off of a dribble pull-up. So they were feeling themselves. They were kind of getting a heat check going. And a lot of times that's still going to go in for NBA players with how talented they are. And when you guys, when you have wings like Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown, who are both long, who are both tall, um, they're going to have that confidence that they can shoot over really any any guard that's going to be in their face. Um, so we saw a lot of good things from the Celtics and a lot of disastrous things from the Cavs in Game One. So let let's take a look here at the individual performers of Game One, and we'll start with the winning team. And uh, I'm going to give the game ball. Uh, to Al Horford. Now that's kind of a tough call because there was a lot of Celtics that you could argue should have gotten the game ball. Um, but I'm gonna I'm go with Al Horford, Al Horford for this game because he, he really did everything. Um, he was shooting the ball amazing. He ended, uh, ended up 8 for 10, uh, put up 20 points, uh, was sitting from behind the line. Um, I mean, he was doing everything offensively. Every time he got the ball, he was putting down the shot, which, you know, when you're that efficient, it's really going to put a lot of pressure on the Cavs' defense. Um, but he was also being very active defensively. I think I saw in one stretch he had two blocks within a minute. Um, and he also ended up with six assists, which is a lot for a big guy. So he was really doing everything. He was contributing. Uh, he was playing tough defense. Um, and one of the things that's unique about Al Horford is that he's really able to move his feet very quickly uh, for a big guy. Uh, he's one of the few guys in this league that can keep up with the likes of Anthony Davis, um, at least on defense. And so... Uh, he was a great at defending the pick and rolls. I thought that um, he did a great job of providing help defense whenever uh, any of the guards uh, from the Celtics got burned. Um, and so I'm giving him the game ball. But you also got to look at Jalen Brown. Uh, he finished with 23 points, uh, I believe eight rebounds. He was doing everything. You saw him very active defensively, which he hasn't always been in his career. Uh, we saw Jason Tatum play a fantastic game, uh, make some really tough shots, make some really disheartening shots too, uh, like the like the uh, little fadeaway uh, from the baseline he hit there at the end of the first quarter uh, to really put the exclamation point uh, on on the quarter for the Celtics. 
Uh, you also saw Marcus uh, Morris play a fantastic game. I was a little worried about him because he did come out before uh, before game one and say how he's uh, you know the best guy in the league to defend LeBron uh, besides Kawhi Leonard. And I don't know if that statement is true, but he did back up a lot of his talk uh, through his play. I mean, LeBron had one of the worst games of his postseason career, um, and Marcus Morris did have a lot of possessions guarding him. I think it was uh, something like 39 possessions that Marcus Morris ended up on LeBron. Uh, so he did a great job, ended up putting uh, 21 points up himself. Uh, so he contributed on offense, on defense, he got 10 boards. Um, so, I mean, you could argue that Marcus Morris maybe deserved the game ball. Uh, but when you're sitting here having a conversation about uh, which of three or four guys deserve the game ball, that, that's a great sign. That means that you got a, a really um, rounded out team effort and you got a lot of people performing at a high level. Um, which for the Cleveland Cavs is is the exact opposite. Uh, if you watch the Cavs play uh, game one uh, and you were looking at each player, uh, really none of them looked good. And if you look at the box score, it doesn't get any prettier. I mean, uh, almost every Cav, uh, except for uh, George Hill and Tristan Thompson, shot below 50%. Uh, from the field. Uh, George Hill shot two for four, had five points with zero assists and zero rebounds. And Tristan Thompson uh, put in eight points on four or six shooting and he uh, was able to uh, bring down 11 boards, uh, putting forth what was perhaps the best Cavalier performance for the night. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, um, LeBron really struggled. I mean, he he was uncomfortable all game. He couldn't get a rhythm going, uh, and he couldn't really get uh, his teammates' rhythm going either. And uh, when the whole team lays an egg like that, that's when you get these blowouts. And um, it's a little bit meaningless to analyze a box score too closely um, uh, when you have blowouts like this. Uh, but usually you have at least some positive production. When Kevin Love is your leading scorer with 17 points uh, in the game on 5 of 14 shooting, you're not going to win any games. Uh, so the Cavs have to fix their offense uh, by game two. And, um, you know, it would be really nice to see them at least get some more contributions from other players. LeBron will probably will probably come back. Uh, have a better game. You're not going to keep him at 15 points uh, on only 16 shots for, for too many games, and you're not going to get it probably for two games in a row. Um, but you need more contributions uh, from the other players. You know, you need Jared Smith to step up. You need Kyle Korver to step up. Those guys need to be able to hit those, the outside shot. You need Kevin Love to to score a little more efficiently. Um, and you need guys like uh, Jordan Clarkson and Rodney Hood. When they get their minutes, uh, which they were given uh, uh, this past game, you need them to step up and do better. Rodney Hood did put up 11 points, but it took him 12 shots to do it. And that's just uh, too inefficient. When you're playing a team like the Celtics, um, you need to find efficient ways of scoring. You need to do a better job of getting to the line and converting on your three-point shots. Because um, if you can't do that, the Celtics are happy with letting you shoot those tough twos all day long. Um, you're uh, going to have a hard time getting into the paint with them with all the, the long defenders they have and all the rotations that they do. Um, they're great at help defense. So you need to be able to shoot the ball. And if the Cavs can do that, it's going to make this series a lot more interesting. If they can't find their rhythm, if they can't find their shot, well, then this series might not go six games like I anticipated. Moving to the West Coast, uh, we saw the Golden State Warriors beat the Houston Rockets 119-106. to 
And, uh, you know, I, I got to say, um, based off my prediction uh, of picking the Rockets to win in seven and picking them because they had more rhythm uh, throughout the whole season, uh, I could not have looked more wrong watching this game because the Rockets simply did not move the ball on offense, whereas the Warriors were clicking full speed. And, uh, you know, there's times for watching the Rockets play. It was it was like watching YMCA basketball. You know, it was uh, James Harden at the top of the key. He'd uh, wind the clock down to about eight seconds. Everyone else was just standing around. There weren't any screens being set. No one was cutting. It was just four guys standing uh, off to the sides, one guy standing at the top of the key, and then the last second deciding, you know, what to do. Um, and I mean, the, the, the Warriors are a great defensive team. You know, you have Draymond Green, you have Clay Thompson, who's, who's a very capable defender. You have Kevin Durant, who is a very capable defender. You know, their, their biggest defensive liability on the court is, uh, Steph Curry. And, uh, we did see when the, when a Rockets player was matched up against Curry, we did see them go at Curry, especially in the first half. Um, but what you got to be doing is if you have a, a team with a lot of great defenders and one defensive liability is you got to be making the screens, the cuts, the pick and rolls uh, to get those mismatches and get Curry on the players that you want to have the ball. Um, and that, and that there was not nearly enough of that. It was, it was simply too much standing around. Whereas the Warriors, uh, you know, whenever Kevin Durant caught the ball, he was already within 15 feet of the hoop. And when you put a seven-foot guard, more or less, within 15 feet of the hoop, and he's got, you know, 6'5", P.J. Tucker on him, or 6'7", Trevor Ariza on him, uh, he's going to probably score. And a lot of times, that's what we saw happen. And Kevin Durant had a, a fantastic game, and he really hit some daggers um, in the first half to, to keep the Warriors um, uh, on pace with the Rockets, and then in the second half to help them pull away. Um I, I was really shocked at just how stagnant the Rockets played. I, I did not see that coming. Uh, I expected them to have a lot more off-the-ball movement. I expected to see a lot better passing. Um, even when they did pass, you saw the Rockets try to do a lot of fancy uh, one-handed scoop passes. Um, and they just didn't deliver sh uh, crisp, sharp passes on point. Uh, we did see a couple of nice plays where uh, uh, James Harden ooped it up to Clint Capella for, for the jam. Um, but there wasn't nearly enough of that, you know, and that was more or less on the fast break. It wasn't within the half-court sets. Uh, so I was really surprised that um, a Mike D'Antoni team with two great ball handlers and Chris Paul and James Harden, um, they didn't do nearly enough movement, nearly enough penetration, and they just settled for dribbling it out. Um, you know, and I, like I said before, Golden State's a great defensive team. Uh, but you got to make them work. You know, anyone's going to look great on defense when everyone is on offense is just standing around. Uh, you got to make Draymond Green work. You got to make Kevin Durant work. You got to tire him out on the defensive end so he's not absolutely going to destroy you on the offensive end. Um, you have to make those guys earn their stops. And uh, the Rockets didn't really uh, make Warriors earn stops as much as they helped them get them. You know, when you're hoisting shots up with two seconds left in the shot clock, and uh, I think they had three uh, shot clock violations in the first half alone, 
uh, that's a sign that your offense is having some issues. And if it doesn't improve uh, by game two, uh, it's going to be very hard for Houston to have any kind of chance of winning this series. Uh, I, at the, at the uh, last podcast, I predicted that the Houston Rocks would take it in seven because they had more rhythm and they had home court advantage. Well, they did not look like they were in rhythm at all and they have now lost the home court advantage. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens from here. Uh, so let's break it down uh, a little deeper and look at individual performers. Starting with the Warriors, uh, you gotta you gotta tip your hat to Kevin Durant. He had an amazing game, put up 37 points uh, on 14 for 27 shooting, and it wasn't just um, the the points that he scored. It was when he scored them. He he was really very timely with his buckets. I mentioned last time how this was going to be a series of punches and counter punches. And in the first half, we saw the Rockets deliver some punches to the Warriors. And every time they did, Kevin Durant was able to counter punch with a clutch basket. And clutch baskets don't need to come at the end of a game. Uh, clutch baskets come when another team looks like they're about to go on a run and you're able to get your, your team back in it. Um, and that's what Kevin Durant was able to do at least three or four times just in the first half alone. Um, and then we saw him go off again in the second half. Uh, Clay Thompson also had a solid game. I believe he had 28 points. Um, he was shooting the ball very well. He was playing solid defense. Uh, just, you know, uh, kind of uh, one of those unheralded but very solid performances. And that's what Clay Thompson's really been doing his whole career as a, as a warrior. You know, he, he scores when he's needed to score, uh, and he plays tough defense. Draymond Green didn't have the best shooting night. Uh, he's not your greatest offensive player. If you were on another team, uh, he probably would not be making many all-star selections uh, because if teams could focus on him uh, defensively, I don't think that he'd ever really be a great scorer. Um, this game, he, he, he didn't really prove otherwise either. He went one for five, had five points, nine boards, nine assists, so he was still doing the other things that he does. He had two blocks. Um, and, uh, you know, he was lucky, I thought, that he did not get ejected from the game. You know, in the first minute, you saw him uh, give Harden a push after Harden dunked, uh, really kind of unprovoked. And, uh, you know, that was the first technical. Then after that, he had a couple of calls, which were pretty pretty obvious calls and he reacted very demonstratively to the refs and I was really surprised that they let it go um, I think if it would have been any other player or most other players um, they probably would not have gotten that treatment from the refs and they probably would have gotten their second tee and when it would have been sent out so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how that the fact that he was allowed to be, uh, uh, show up the refs uh, after getting his first tee, um, how that's going to impact him going forward, if he's going to continue to be uh, a little bit emotionally unstable on the court or if he's going to be able to rein it in. Um, but uh, then you look at Steph Curry, and he had 18 points on 8 for 15 shooting, 8 assists. You know, most players, that's a really good game. For Steph Curry, uh, it, well, it really wasn't his night, and um, you can kind of see it in his body language. But I'm sure he's going to come back. I mean, he just got back from injury a few games ago in the second round. And the fact that he's putting up a uh, positive efficiency and still contributing to his team, getting those eight assists, um, I think those are all great signs. Uh, it was just Kevin Durant's night. And, you know, when one guy's got it going, uh, let, him get, let him keep going. And uh, that's exactly what the Warriors did. Switching over to the Rockets, um, and... The, you know, the player that obviously stands out in the box score is James Harden. He had 41 points, uh, shot 14 for 24, had uh, 7 assists, 
Um, and anyone who didn't watch the game is going to look at the look at that line and be like, "Wow, he was by far their best player." And he he probably was. He was also though by far their worst player. You know, and it was kind of one of those weird scenarios where one guy is both the best and the worst. And um, you know, on the on the box score, it also says he has four turnovers. And really, he should be responsible for more than four turnovers. Uh, because there were several possessions uh, where he called for isolation, he was at the top of the key, he dribbled, 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 or just held the ball, and then when the shot clock was winding down and he couldn't find the shot he wanted, um, he passed to a teammate with two or three seconds left, and the teammate either had to hoist up uh, a badly contested shot um, that was rushed and well off target, or uh, they weren't able to get the shot off at all and it caused uh, a team turnover. So... He was really responsible for a lot of of those miscues uh, on the Rockets offensively that don't necessarily show up on the box score. Um, yeah, he was great when he was able to find his lane. He was uh, very good at getting his shot off. He shot the three ball very well. He, I think he was five for nine in the game. Um, but... Chris Paul only had three assists the entire game, and that's just not normal. You don't usually see Chris Paul only getting three assists. And what that tells you is that he really didn't have the ball in his hands a whole lot, and he didn't have the opportunity to create. Uh, He had 23 points, but he was really kind of turned into more of a shooter uh, than a playmaker, which is what Chris Paul's strength is, is playmaking. Um, I think I saw in the first half there was uh, one stretch where Chris Paul and James Harden were on the court together, and they went three consecutive uh, possessions without Chris Paul even touching the ball. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen a point guard go three consecutive possessions uh, without touching the ball. And these weren't, you know, fast breaks where, you know, maybe it's a little disorganized. Uh, These were half-court possessions, and Chris Paul simply did not touch the ball. It was James James Harden dribbled up, and James Harden took the shot, or he uh, drove, or he kicked out someone else. Um, I do think this game might have been closer had Trevor Ariza not gotten what I thought was a bit of a raw deal on some of those foul calls. Uh, He played in foul trouble for a great deal of the night, and I don't know that he should have been in foul trouble. A couple of those calls, uh, I think, were just missed calls. And he was probably the best defender on Kevin Durant. P.J. Tucker is a very good defender, uh, but he can't hang with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is just simply too tall for him, too long for him. Um, And you watched him play, and, you know, anytime Kevin Durant wanted to get a shot off over P.J. Tucker, he could. Uh, P.J. Tucker did bring some nice things offensively. I thought he did a great job of making the shots he had. And uh, he had one play uh, in the first half that I remember where he drove the baseline and dumped it off to Clint to Clint Capella for the easy jam. Clint Capella played a great game. He had 12 points on six of seven shooting, uh, six boards, a couple of a couple of blocks. One of them very emphatic on on Kevin Durant, and uh, that's what he needs to do. He needs to bring the energy. Um, if uh, the uh, Rockets were a little more active offensively, I think you would have seen Clint Capella have an even better game. Um, but at the end of the day, the Rockets were just way too stagnant. They didn't. They did not force the the Warriors to work on defense, which gave the Warriors plenty of energy for offense. And you can't do that. You need to grind this Warriors team down if you're going to have any chance of winning. You need to make them work, and that means that you got to be moving on the offensive end. If you do isolation after isolation after isolation, that means that four out of the five Warriors are getting a rest um, while you're on offense, and uh, the next trip down the court, they're going to burn you. 
So we'll see how Houston adjusts uh, on the next game coming up here in a couple of nights. Um, and we'll see if they can, they can fix their offensive problems and maybe find a way to put more pressure on Kevin Durant. Well, that does it for this episode. Coming up next time, we are going to take a little bit of a break from the playoffs and actually look at the NBA draft lottery. And uh, we'll talk about who are the big winners, uh, who are the losers, and uh, what each team can hope to gain from their draft lottery position. Until then, take care.